The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 11 The Signals from the Ship now so soon as it was clearly light, we went all of us to the leeward brow of the hill to stare upon the derelict, which now we had cause to believe no derelict but an inhabited vessel. Yet though we watched her for upwards of two hours, we could discover no sign of any living creature, the which indeed had we been in cooler minds, we had not thought strange, seeing that she was all so shut in by the great superstructure but we were hot to see a fellow creature after so much lonesomeness and terror in strange lands and seas, and so could not by any means contain ourselves in patience until those aboard the hulk should choose to discover themselves to us. And so, at last, being wearied with watching, we made it up together to shout when the bosun should give us the signal by this means making a good volume of sound which we conceived the wind might carry down to the vessel. Yet though we raised many shouts, making as it seemed to us a very great noise, there came no response from the ship, and at last we were fain to cease from our calling and ponder some other way of bringing ourselves to the notice of those within the hulk. For a while we talked, some proposing one thing and some another, but none of them seeming like to achieve our purpose, and after that we fell to marveling that the fire which we had lit in the valley had not awakened them to the fact that some of their fellow creatures were upon the island. For had it, we could not suppose but that they would have kept a perpetual watch upon the island until some time as they should have been able to attract our notice. Nay, more than this, it was scarce credible that they should not have made an answering fire, or set some of their bunting above the superstructure, so that our gaze should be arrested upon the instant we chanced to glance towards the hulk. But so far from this, there appeared even a purpose to shun our attention, for that light which we had viewed in the past night was more in the way of an accident than of the nature of a purposeful exhibition. And so presently we went to breakfast, eating heartily, our night of wakefulness having given us mighty appetites, but for all of that we were so engrossed by the mystery of the lonesome craft that I doubt if any of us knew what manner of food it was with which we filled our bellies. For first one view of the matter would be raised, and when this had been combated, another would be broached, and in this wise it came up finally that some of the men were falling in doubt whether the ship was inhabited by anything human, saying rather that it might be held by some demoniac creature of the great weed continent. At this proposition there came among us a very uncomfortable silence, for not only did it chill the warmth of our hopes, but seemed like to provide us with a fresh terror, who were already acquainted with too much. Then the boatswain spoke, laughing with a hearty contempt at our sudden fears, and pointed out that it was just as like that they aboard the ship had been put in fear by the great blaze from the valley, 
as that they should take it for a sign that fellow creatures and friends were at hand. For, as he put it to us, who of us could say what fell brutes and demons the weed continent did hold? And if we had reason to know that there were very dread things among the weed, how much the more must they, who had for all that we knew been many years, be set around by such? And so, as he went on to make clear, we might suppose that they were very well aware there had come some creatures to the island, yet maybe they desired not to make themselves known until they had been given sight of them, and because of this we must wait until they chose to discover themselves to us. Now, when the boatswain had made an end, we felt each one of us greatly cheered, for his discourse seemed very reasonable, yet still there were many matters that troubled our company. For as one put it, was it not mightily strange that we had not heard previous sight of their light, or in the day of the smoke from their galley fire? But to this the boatswain replied that our camp hitherto had lain in a place where we had not sight, even of the great world of weed, leaving alone any view of the derelict. And more, that at some times as we had crossed to the opposite beach, we had been occupied too sincerely to have much thought to watch the hulk, which indeed from that position showed only her great superstructure. Further, that until the preceding day, we had but once climbed to any height, and that from our present camp the derelict could not be viewed, and to do so, we had to go near to the leeward edge of the hilltop. And so, breakfast being ended, we went all of us to see if there were yet any signs of life in the hulk. But when an hour had gone, we were no wiser. Therefore, it being folly to waste further time, the boatswain left one man to watch from the brow of the hill, charging him very strictly to keep in such position that he could be seen by any aboard the silent craft, and so took the rest of us down to assist him in the repairing of the boat. And from thence on, during the day, he gave the men a turn each at watching, telling them to wave to him should there come any sign from the hulk. Yet, accepting the watch, he kept every man so busy as might be, some bringing weed to help keep up a fire which he had lit near the boat, one to help him turn and hold the batten upon which he labored, and two he sent across to the wreck of the mast to detach one of the futok shrouds, which, as is most rare, were made of iron rods. This, when they brought it, he bade me heat in the fire, and afterwards beat out straight at one end. And when this was done, he set me to burn holes with it through the keel of the boat, at such places as he had marked, these being for the bolts with which he had determined to fasten on the batten. In the meanwhile, he continued to shape the batten until it was a very good and true fit according to his liking. And all the while he cried out to this man and to that one to do this or that, and so I perceived that, apart from the necessity of getting the boat into a seaworthy condition, he was desirous to keep the men busied, for they were become so excited at the thought of fellow creatures almost within hail, that he could not hope to keep them sufficiently in hand without some matter upon which to employ them. Now, it must not be supposed that the boatswain had no share of our excitement, for I noticed that he gave ever and anon a glance to the crown of the far hill, perchance the watchman had some news for us. Yet the morning went by, and no signal came to tell us that the people in the ship had designed to show themselves to the man upon watch, and so we came to dinner. 
At this meal, which might be supposed, we had a second discussion upon the strangeness of the behavior of those aboard the hulk, yet none could give any more reasonable explanation than the boatswain had given in the morning, and so we left it at that. Presently, when we had smoked and rested very comfortably, for the boatswain was no tyrant, we rose at his bidding to descend once more to the beach. But at this moment, one of the men, having run to the edge of the hill to take a short look at the hulk, cried out that a part of the great superstructure over the quarter had been removed, or pushed back, and that there was a figure there seeming, so far as his unaided sight could tell, to be looking through a spyglass at the island. Now it would be difficult to tell of all our excitement at this news, and we ran eagerly to see for ourselves if it could be as he informed us. And so it was, for we could see the person very clearly, though remote and small because of the distance. That he had seen us we discovered in a moment, for he began suddenly to wave something, which I judged to be the spyglass, in a very wild manner, seeming also to be jumping up and down. Yet I doubt not but that we were as much excited, for suddenly I discovered myself to be shouting with the rest in a most insane fashion, and moreover I was waving my hands and running to and fro upon the brow of the hill. Then I observed that the figure on the hulk had disappeared, but it was for no more than a moment, and then it was back, and there were near a dozen with it, and it seemed to me that some of them were females, but the distance was over great for surety. Now these, all of them, seeing us upon the brow of the hill, where we must have shown up plain against the sky, began at once to wave in a very frantic way, and we, replying in a like manner, shouted ourselves hoarse with vain greetings. But soon we grew wearied of the unsatisfactoriness of this method of showing our excitement, and one took a piece of the square canvas and let it stream out into the wind, waving it to them, and another took a second piece and did likewise, while a third man rolled up a short bit into a cone and made use of it as a speaking trumpet, though I doubt if his voice carried any further because of it. For my part, I had seized one of the long bamboo-like reeds which were lying about near the fire, and with this I was making a very brave show. And so it may be seen how very great and genuine was our exaltation upon our discovery of these poor people shut off from the world within that lonesome craft. Then, suddenly, it seemed to come to us to realize that they were among the weed, and we upon the hilltop, and that we had no means of bridging that which lay between. And at this we faced one another to discuss what we should do to effect the rescue of those within the hulk. Yet it was little that we could even suggest, for though one spoke of how he had seen a rope cast by means of a mortar to a ship that lay offshore, yet this helped us not, for we had no mortar. But here the same man cried out that they in the ship might have such a thing, so that they would be able to shoot the rope to us. And at this we thought more upon his saying, for if they had such a weapon, then might our difficulties be solved. Yet we were greatly at a loss to know how we should discover whether they were possessed of one, and further to explain our design to them. But here the boatswain came to our help, and bade one man go quickly and char some of the reeds in the fire. And whilst this was done, he spread out upon the rock one of the spare lengths of canvas. Then he sung out to the man to bring him one of the pieces of charred wood, and with this he wrote our question upon the canvas, calling for fresh charcoal as he required it. Then, having made an end of writing, he bade two of the men take hold of the canvas by the ends and expose it to the view of those on the ship, 
and in this manner we got them to understand our desires. For presently some of them went away, and came back after a little, and held up for us to see a very great square of white, and upon it a great no. And at this we were again at our wits' end to know how it would be possible to rescue those within the ship, for suddenly our whole desire to leave the island was changed into a determination to rescue the people in the hulk. And indeed, had our intentions not been such, we had been veritable curs. Though I am happy to tell that we had no thought at this juncture, but for those who were now looking to us to restore them once more to the world to which they had been so long strangers. Now, as I have said, we were again at our wits' end to know how to come at those within the hulk. And there we stood, all of us, talking together, perchance we should hit upon some plan, and anon we would turn and wave to those who watched us so anxiously. Yet a while passed, and we had come no nearer to a method of rescue. Then a thought came to me, waked perchance by the mention of shooting the rope over to the hulk by means of a mortar. How that I had read once in a book of a fair maid whose lover effected her escape from a castle by a similar artifice, only that in his case he made use of a bow in place of a mortar, and a cord instead of a rope, his sweetheart hauling up the rope by means of the cord. Now it seemed to me a possible thing to substitute a bow for the mortar, if only we could find the material with which to make such a weapon. And with this in view, I took up one of the lengths of the bamboo-like reed and tried the spring of it, which I found to be very good. For this curious growth, of which I have spoken hitherto as a reed, had no resemblance to that plant beyond its appearance, it being extraordinarily tough and woody, and having considerably more nature than a bamboo. Now, having tried the spring of it, I went over to the tent and cut a piece of Samson line, which I found among the gear. And with this and the reed I contrived a rough bow. Then I looked about until I came upon a very young and slender reed which had been cut with the rest, and from this I fashioned some sort of an arrow, feathering it with a piece of one of the broad stiff leaves which grew upon the plant. And after that I went forth to the crowd about the leeward edge of the hill. Now when they saw me thus armed, they seemed to think that I intended a jest, and some of them laughed, conceiving that it was a very odd action on my part. But when I explained that which was in my mind, they ceased from laughter, and shook their heads, making that I did but waste time, for as they said, nothing save gunpowder could cover so great a distance. And after that they turned again to the boatswain, with whom some of them seemed to be in argument. And so for a little space I held my peace, and listened. Thus I discovered that certain of the men advocated the taking of the boat, so soon as it was sufficiently repaired and making a passage through the weed to the ship, which they proposed to do by cutting a narrow canal. But the boatswain shook his head and reminded them of the great devilfish and crabs and the worst things which the weed concealed, saying that those in the ship would have done it long since, had it been possible, and at that the men were silenced, being robbed of their unreasoning ardor by his warnings. Now, just at this point, there happened a thing which proved the wisdom of that which the boatswain contended. For suddenly one of the men cried out to us to look, and at that we turned quickly, and saw that there was a great commotion among those who were in the open place in the superstructure. For they were running this way and that, and some were pushing to the slide which filled the opening. 
And then immediately we saw the reason for their agitation and haste, for there was a stir in the weed near to the stern of the ship, and the next instant monstrous tentacles were reached up to the place where had been the opening, but the door was shut, and those aboard the hulk in safety. At this manifestation the men about me who had proposed to make use of the boat, and the others also, cried out their horror of the vast creature, and, I am convinced, had the rescue depended upon their use of the boat, then had those in the hulk been forever doomed. Now, conceiving that this was a good point at which to renew my importunities, I began once again to explain the possibilities of my plan succeeding, addressing myself more particularly to the bosun. I told how that I had read that the ancients made mighty weapons, some of which could throw a great stone as heavy as two men over a distance surpassing a quarter of a mile. Moreover, that they compassed huge catapults, which threw a lance or great arrow even further. On this, he expressed much surprise, never having heard of the like, but doubted greatly that we should be able to construct such a weapon. Yet I told him that I was prepared, for I had the plan of one clearly in my mind. And further, I pointed out to him that we had the wind in our favor, and that we were a great height up, which would allow the arrow to travel the farther before it came so low as the weed. Then I stepped to the edge of the hill, and bidding him watch, fitted my arrow to the string, and having bent the bow, loosed it, whereupon, being aided by the wind and the height on which I stood, the arrow plunged into the weed at a distance of near two hundred yards from where we stood, that being about a quarter of the distance on the road to the derelict. At that the boatswain was won over to my idea, though, as he remarked, the arrow had fallen nearer had it been drawing a length of yarn after it. And to this I assented, but pointed out that my bow and arrow was but a rough affair, and more that I was no archer. Yet I promised him, with the bow that I should make, to cast a shaft clean over the hulk, did he but give me his assistance, and bid the men to help. Now as I have come to regard it in the light of greater knowledge, my promise was exceeding rash, but I had faith in my conception, and was very eager to put it to the test, the which, after much discussion at supper, it was decided I should be allowed to do. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. The music for Chapter 11 is by Exit, from the album Sleep, Parts 1 and 2, available from darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com. <laughs>